brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Solo puedo recordar la luz en la calle de las estrellas como bailamos en la gran ciudad Suavemente, suavemente, suavemente me desclavo en tu, en tu, en tu Suavemente, suavemente, suavemente me desclavo en, en tu cuerpo Welcome back to Good Moms, Bad Choices, and welcome to our part two of our Sean and Ray King episode. Now, if you listened to part one, you know we ended it quite abruptly, so let's take it back so you can remember where we left off and get straight into part two. Black children. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, like I know there was a comment recently about you telling, saying to, about Kim, like she likes being on camera. I didn't think there was anything wrong with that comment. I thought it was a little mean. Well, when I, I saw I he that, said that, I, thought, I was like, I thought oh. that it was true. No, but well, I, mean, I, I think, of, like, I'm not a Kardashian fan by any means, but if she's going to use her platform as a way to help people, then okay. Yeah, you know, I but, think the day I said that comment, I said, like, on the Monday, they stopped Rodney's execution on Friday, and on that Monday, she was on all the TV shows, which I had no problem with. But I, saw, I kept being asked, Sean, why is she on these TV shows and not you? And I said, because she likes being on TV and I like doing the work. Well, and let's be honest, because mainstream media was done with you a long time ago, right? Yeah, like, yeah but that's not another just, reason. but I think I regretted saying it probably a few hours after. It's one, I'm generally not mean-spirited in my comments. I was already frustrated that day because I think that was the same day a lot of stuff was going on with Amanda I, again, I wasn't so bothered by Amanda as I was concerned about the impact it would have on Rodney, on Rodney's family, and on his case. Like, we had grown to feel that the public sentiment about Rodney mattered. 
And so seeing something that could harm that, I felt like could harm this man's life. And so when somebody asked me that, I was kind of in a mood and um, several people reached out to me and said, like, actually, Sean, behind this, I know what you've seen on TV, but behind the scenes, she's been doing more work, even on Rodney's case, research and some other things. And so I just, I just said, like, hey, what I said, I said, I think the facts of that are true. She does like being on TV. I do like doing the work, but I didn't mean it in that. I meant it as a backhanded compliment. Yeah. And a few hours after I said it, I was like, ah, that's not my best. That's not my best look. So with all, I mean, all the work you do, all the criticism that you get, both of you get, how, what is, how do you decompress? <laughs> what is your self-care routine? Because mm-hmm. that's what I want to know. How do you step away from all of this, because, you know, your Instagram, and I've seen before, you've said, like, you know, I know a lot of you think that all I do is post about all, like, the injustices that are happening. I'm going to start posting things about, like, little things I do with my family to show you that, yes, I do, I am a normal person, and I don't just, like, post about this stuff all day. Well, you do, but but this is not <laughs> my whole existence. Like, how how do you kind of come down and decompress from all of it? I think we both have different ways that we do it. Like right now, like I'm in a fantasy basketball league with my son. Okay. Right. And so I'm, and we're checking our scores several times a night to see who's winning. Um, we take the kid, we take the kids to the movies. We, we go on trips. We're going on a trip, you know, with the family for Thanksgiving. Like we, like there are things that we do. Like, I also try not to take my work late into the night. Like, I try to cut my work off even as early as 8 o'clock where I'm trying to flip the switch off in my mind where I'm not thinking about injustice. Little things like we try not to have our phone at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. We try not to use our phones when we're out on dates. Just little things like that that we try to do, but it, but it is, I mean, it's a lot yeah, of stress. I think we could use a little more decompressing. Like, I think these last six months or so in particular, it's been hard to kind of keep up a self-care mm-hmm. um, routine. You know, you don't watch nearly the, the TV or the Netflix or something um, that you would normally watch. I don't work out anymore. I used to love Zumba and just have not had... We've been swamped. Yeah, really. we've been swamped. Just like every day back to back to back. But I think like when it's not like that, you know, we like to go out on a date once a week. Um, we have a favorite restaurant in Manhattan that we that we go to. Stuff like that. Just like whatever. We go to Broadway. Does. We go to Broadway musicals That's when we true. can. Yeah. Um I mean so there are there I are shop too much. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay, so we definitely have little things that we do. Like you for Ray is a podcast aficionado. She's probably listened to this point into the thousands of episodes at this point mm-hmm. so you listen to podcasts and audiobooks and and there are other little things that we do like for me I I everything I do I love and so even as hard as fighting for Rodney Reed is uh I choose to do that even as I talked to you all earlier how hard it is to do a daily podcast as hard as it is to do a daily I love being able to share that information and break down the news for people so the, but it does get hard for you. Like, I think, you know, that's one thing. I don't know if it's because you're a guy, you know, and you're just not necessarily in touch with your feelings or whatever. <laughs> um, so he's not one to be like, you know, oh, man, I'm depressed or oh, this or that. I've learned to look for other signs and clues that 
you know, that he's reaching a, a point. You know what I'm saying? And I think this past week in particular, one, you've been writing the never-ending book. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah. It just won't. It's the book that won't be written. It just won't be done. Well, the, book <laughs> um, is, the book is finished. It's the editing process oh, now. It's man, just brutal. it's terrible. But I think over this last week, you know, I heard you say for the first time on Monday, I need a day off. And I don't know that I've ever heard him say that before. And I was like, oh, okay, like... Something's wrong. He's just like, I, I don't know what it is. He said, I think I just went for so long, so hard for Rodney Reed. And I think it's just caught up with me. You know, it's like you work, you work, you work to get this stay. And then it happens. And then you're just like, oh, my God, like, how did I just spend the last three weeks of my life? And I think you have. I think the Amanda Seals thing, the reason that Kim Kardashian comment happened, which is so out of your character, um, is because you were, you were, I think you're exhausted. Mm. Like, I really, I think you're exhausted. Um, I think that, you know, like, um, speaking of decompressing, like, I don't engage on the internet. I have no idea what people say about me. Um, so you all say, you know, like, oh, the way they criticize me too. I was like, really, do they? You know, like, because I don't know. Like, I don't. I, I hardly see, I hardly see any criticism of myself. I don't, I hardly look at the comments. I don't, I don't have Google alerts on. I have had to block the good noise and the bad noise out. and That's a form of decompression, I think. Just like making that, because you live on the internet in your work, just like making that world as small as possible when it comes to like what we take in. Mm -hmm. As I think one of my girlfriends even said, she was telling me, um, she was like, get a separate phone. And one phone is like your personal phone where people you know and love and trust reach you. And the other one has all the other stuff on it. And the ones with your social media, like don't even bring it into your bedroom. Like literally leave it out there. You don't like those people. You don't know those people. Don't invite them into your room. They don't know you. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's kind of deep. And so just like limiting our social media, I think, is another kind of self-care thing we do. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, the work you do, you have so many people have access to you, you know. And you know what? In preparing for this interview, obviously, we, we know we know who you are. But we did some research. And there's, you know, there's just, I was just like calling Erica like, oh, my God. People are crazy. Yeah. I'm like everything, every every crevice of this man's life. Yeah. If you're black, are you black enough? Mm-hmm. Are, are, are you know, are, are all the kids yours? Are <laughs> are you know, did you have did, did someone hurt you? Was it was it was it racially motivated? You know, people having to go back and account from the 11th grade. And I'm like, wow. And you know, unfortunately, I mean, obviously I see it from the other side, but I see it from black people. Yeah. And that is was like that's the most powerful. That's what's so disapp- that's what that's what gets disappointing. There is yeah. not a lot of people doing this work and it's needed more than ever. So I'm I'm perplexed at why and how us Well, I know, I think I understand it. I mean, uh, black folk love shade, jokes, rumors, like there's no place rumors and lies and, and stuff spread faster than in our own communities. Like, and it, it could be just a, a pop culture rumor. Like I, rem- like, I remember it was the top trending topic that, that Rihanna was pregnant. And it was like, I mean, it was like a real, like it, it, it had caught on in a major way. And it was just like, all of a sudden people had, people knew it and knew that it was true. And it's like, it, stuff spreads in our communities like, 
Well, I think some of us just like the history of like playing the dozens. You know what I'm saying? Like we crack jokes and and we 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 can like really drag anything. You know what I'm saying? And it's beautiful when it's funny, you know, and it's interesting. And that's why I think we have the best comedians and stuff like that. But I think that social media um, takes it a couple steps too far. You know what I'm saying? Like I've seen memes about Sean that I giggled at, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I thought they were funny. Even when I took over his Twitter account, somebody had posted a meme and it was like some movie and I was holding Sean and they had like put his face on a baby and put (laughs) my face on on somebody else's with a gun. I thought that was hilarious. You know, even a couple of the nicknames, like we're crafty as a people. You know what I'm saying? Like we're funny and, and we're interesting. And so I can appreciate that. But when it turns into like just outright hate, outright, you know, meanness, you know what I'm saying? Like it takes a turn. And and that's a lot of what I've seen um, happen with Sean. Like people have told us, people in this movement been like, you know, I think it's jealousy. And that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. I'm like, jealous of what? Like, do you know how hard this is? If you knew, you would know you don't have anything to be jealous of. And so I don't know if it's jealousy, but I've had really credible people say, like, when things are really crazy, like, it's jealousy. Like, they're upset about it. Well, I was telling her, like, it's just like in any arena of success, entertainment, you know, you want to be the number one rapper. You want to be the number one actor you want to be the number one activist Mm. you know and like you want whether or not you realize it or not like there's always someone that's trying to be number one you know and and, wild like in any in any even in this space in any arena yeah any arena I mean because even I mean when we when we announced that we we were having you on as a guest we had so many people just so excited and then there were also people that were like, I need you to ask the hard questions. And I'm like, okay, first of all. Ask him about the black women and the LGBTQ community. So I'm like doing research. I'm like, so one black girl <laughs> made false accusations about him allegedly stealing money from a nonprofit. She happens to be gay. So now he doesn't like black women or the LGBTQ community. I don't community. even know that story. Like who? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Even... I don't know. But it's just these these huge masses of people believing something because of one single person or yeah. like or like when he stole money from um who was it Centoya Brown and you know like that really blew up right and Sean was like wait what and and now you have Centoya Brown who literally retweets him you know what I'm saying? The right. things he said. We literally went to her book signing last week where, you know, we took pictures with her. And, but but this is the same woman. Like, look, I can go on a tangent about this. <laughs> this kind of stuff because it just doesn't make sense. Sean bullies. I'm like, he bullies or he knows that if you say some things that's not true, uh, there's re- there's repercussions. How is that I bullying? Was like, I was like, I know that. <laughs> I don't care who you are. You say some shit about me that's not true, I'm, I might like, come into your house. No, real talk. I, I loathe bullies. Like my entire life, and you know, it's a struggle because if a person who is otherwise a good person tells a lie about you, and that lie is damaging, what happens? That's is- another thing. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like people don't understand it actually matters. So people say stuff to us like, "You don't have to respond to those haters." You know what I'm saying? Like you don't don't even give them any attention. But we have to. Like, it, it literally affects, affects your life. It does in ways yeah, that people our kids, just... Listen, our kids get confronted on this. Like, when people tell these stories and lies, our teenage daughters get asked about it. Even our younger kids get confronted about these things. And so when somebody tells a lie and it does damage in my world, 
how am I supposed to confront it? And so, you know, the conclusion for people was because I have such a big platform, if somebody who doesn't have that platform tells a lie about me, they basically don't want me to confront the person. But again, many of those lies have been retweeted thousands of times. I, I had to talk to my book publisher who was like, hey, can you clarify this for us? And so when people say, again, it's so foolish, when people say that I've stolen money from anybody or any charity, one, there's no person or charity saying that. Right, like why don't the families or the charities that, like have true. to come out and say, he took our money. Like, wouldn't they and be doing the, the, the that? The number one advocate. I, would, about I mean, this. I mean, exactly. And that's what, and that's what I was telling Jamila. I'm like, he has such a big platform. Wouldn't one of these charities have said, "Hey, yep, it was him." Like, I just don't understand. Yeah, so it's that, and then secondly, be in jail. It's a, it's a crime. <laughs> that's what people understand is it's not stealing from a family or charity. Is not just dirty. It's a crime. It's it's a whole crime. If you it's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Do it on GoFundMe if you do it anywhere. Even if you start a nonprofit, you have to you have to go through the, you have to submit these papers to the IRS. You have to. There aren't there nine nine. And it's, isn't it right. isn't it open to the general public too? Like what? Right. Do you do? Like, like do you, all the people that hate Sean, do you not think that the government would have come for him I mean, already? Shit, Uncle Tom, don't give don't let nobody take his money. <laughs> that private IRS, they're on it every step of the way. Right. And if you're advocating for people they don't even fuck with like that, they're going to be looking through your shit like pins and needles. You know. So it it, it it's strange to me that. You know, and, and when there's the IRS, when, when there's these forms and, you know, obviously you've had a, a multiple nonprofits and that's, shit, that's a businessman. You, you see what works and then doesn't work and then you do something different or, you know, whatever. But at, at, the, at the very end of it, you, your efforts are for the greater good. And when, always. When, that's the thing that's always been able to, to help me um, keep rocking with him. You know what I'm saying? Because I know his heart. And through all his nine lives that he's lived and all the different things that he's decided to try and start or whatever. And I get frustrated and I'm just like, you're not going to run that thing. You know, you're not going to see that thing through. It's because he goes after like what I can appreciate about him is he can have an idea. I've never seen anybody take an idea to being a thing like he does. I think what he's learned over time, over the last 10 or 15 years or so, is where his strengths are. Like, that's his strength. He can start a thing like that. Running it, that's a different story. And I think it probably... It's a different set of skills. It is. And so I think the main pivot I've made over the past few years is just to surround myself 
with people who love doing the day-to-day, the hard slog and day-to-day management of managing the organizations, of managing the finances, of making sure that we're legally compliant. Like all of that stuff is tedious and detail-oriented. It's just stuff I'm not generally good at. But it took you a while to understand, right? I mean, it took me a while to even find the people and the team to surround myself with to say, ah, they are people who love the things that I'm not good at. And like he watched me lead a, a staff meeting, a leadership meeting today, and he was like, that was amazing, right? But I love that stuff. Like I'm into the details, and he's not. And I think we've gotten to a place where we're like, we're okay with that, and we see it. And my thing to people is just failure isn't fraud. You know what I'm saying? Like you fail, you start something, you fail, you start something. That That's not necessarily fraud. I did have to get to the place with him where I needed him to learn from his mistakes and stop making the same mistakes over and over again, just as his wife, the toll of that um, and what it allowed people to say got to a point where it was just like, okay, we're not doing this anymore. Like you're going to have to do something different or you're literally never starting anything again, right? <laughs> well, I want to, like, as you, as 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 his wife and you having to, you know, support him, is there, was there, is there any, ever a time where you're like, I don't want, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, 100%. Like we're done. (laughs) Absolutely. Like this is not the life I envisioned. You know what I'm saying? Like it isn't. And we talk about this on our new podcast that that'll be released in a couple of months. Like when we got together and I was 15 and he was 17, we met in church and he was like a wonder kid preacher, you know, and um, I was like, I'm going to be a pastor's wife. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm like wearing the hats and, you know, accompanying him on his preaching engagements and stuff like that. Like, that's the life I thought I was preparing myself for. And so when he started becoming an activist and he started becoming well known, I mean, you all probably know you didn't see me for years. Like I just now opened a public social media account like a month ago. And that was just because my teenagers were just like, mom, we need you to be what they call hashtag sponsored. Like that was, (laughs) I'm not hashtag sponsored by anybody. Um, But like, (laughs) that's what they were, you know? And I was like, okay. But, but really it got to the point where I felt like my silence, um, kind of in a way contributed to people's ability to be able to say these things without a counter narrative. And I felt like I wanted to be able to have a platform where if there was something I wanted to say, something I wanted to clear up, I could have that platform without having to take over his Twitter account. You know what I'm saying? And so um, that's when I became public. But yeah, there've been so many times where I was just like, can you just like do something quiet? Like, can you just start a little country church somewhere? And (laughs) let's go back to Kentucky. Right. Like let that be our lives. I don't want this. I don't want to be stopped on the street. I don't want to be stopped when I'm shopping at Macy's and I don't have no makeup on and you want to take a picture and I'm loaded down with clothes, you know, like I just want to be, um, I don't think of myself as famous. I don't even think of Sean as famous. I just, I say like well-known maybe, but like that's just, people find it hard to believe, but you can literally not desire that life. It's, it's not the life I ever wanted. I don't want it now. And so, yeah, there've been times where I've just been like, I can't do this, you know, especially when the, the hate and, and things just escalated to a point where I couldn't even live my private life anymore. I couldn't have a job 
um, when this last stuff happened, I want to say maybe back in September, when um, he got the award from Rihanna, people just lost their shit over it. You know what I'm saying? It was probably the hardest moment that I've ever had dealing with this movement and his, you know, level of fame in it. And I didn't go to work for three weeks. I just I couldn't show my face in the office because people knew I had a woman who works with me who literally retweeted um, mm. like the thing that DeRay um, put out. She literally reposted it and everybody at my job follows each other on social media. So it was like. Everybody that I work with in this office saw you say that thing. And her thing was, well, it didn't have anything to do with you. I'm like, it has everything, everything to, to do, do with me. me. Everything to do with My me. Husband, yeah. Right? So, like, if he did it, I did it. Right? right? If he's corrupt, I'm corrupt. Right. I, I'm, I'm co-signing. 100 Because I spend the money. You don't spend a dime. <laughs> right, you right. know, like, I spend it all. And so... Um, yeah, it had everything to do with me. And I, I literally felt like I couldn't show my face in the office. I was embarrassed. I was hurt. I didn't know who was for me and who was against me. Just like crazy stuff, right? And I was just like, there have been so many times like I cannot do this anymore. Like, I need you to have an exit plan. What is what is your exit strategy? Can you be a professor somewhere? <laughs> can you just get a little, you know, right? Like, can we do that? Can we move? Can we not be in New York? Like, I would still do that um, to this day because, I mean, I don't like it. Yeah. With your, and having kids too, how, because I, I think about this too with with your with your children, how do you um, obviously educate them because they're black children about you know what's happening in the world, but also allow them to be children? Mm. You know because you want them to be armed yeah. with the knowledge, but you also want them to be pure and, and as long as they can and free and yeah. How how do you? We have we have a lot. I, I get that question all the time. I think we both we both get it. But I mean, first. We don't have a one-size-fits-all policy for our kids. So our kids are 7, 10, 13, 17, and 20. And so what works for the 17- and 20-year-old is totally different than what works for the 7- and 10-year-old. And so sometimes parents feel like they're doing their kids a service by exposing them to all the issues of the world, and we've never felt that way. So we've our young kids, we've always tried to shield them from actual videos of police violence or horrible stories of white mm -hmm. supremacy or bigotry. Like, they understand that these issues exist, mm -hmm. but the young developing brain literally cannot process that. Like, it will, it'll cause them to think of themselves in certain detrimental ways. It'll cause them to even kind of internalize it and think that they are in immediate danger. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have a sliding scale, you know, from the 20-year-old all the way to the 7-year-old in terms of what we expose them to. Like, only for the very first time a couple weeks ago did the three younger kids, I think that's the first time they had ever seen me at a rally. Mm. So they don't even, they don't, we generally, I go do that stuff and the families at home, safe, and I go out. We rarely, when I do events, we're rarely even together. Sometimes for safety in some ways, mm -hmm. we're rarely even in the same place at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so there are I mean, lots of things we do to protect the kids, but you know, I think it's just important not to overexpose, even as adults. Like even Ray doesn't see, like I, I shield her from even a lot of the, the horrible things that go on in the world. Our minds, our brains were never meant 
to see some of the, the, the awful things that happen in yeah, society. Like I knew a long time ago, I could not watch those videos. I could not, I couldn't be so engrossed in every news story. So if you go to my Instagram, it's mostly any other mom's Instagram. You know what I'm saying? It's my kids, it's my day-to-day, it's their messy rooms, it's whatever. And then I post about my work because I do work that I care about. Um, and I talk about that sometimes, but you know, like we have all the same trepidation that any black parents have with raising black kids. Like the conversations that we have with our son, like they're heartbreaking. I wish that because, you know, we were in this space, we had some, you know, magic wisdom, you know, about how to. But you don't? I was hoping you did. Here's the book of how to to be a black If anyone knows, they do. No, we don't. Like, I wish we did. It is hard. You know, like the conversations when my son, he's 13 now, and um, in New York, kids just go all over the city all by themselves. from the time they're like nine they or ten years bu- old. They don't have school buses in New York. In in New York, no, that's not tissue. I thought it was. Oh, Give me the oh. pause for a second. Hold on, let's just pause for a quick second. One more thing. Okay. Okay, I'm recording. We can start however you want to start. Speaking of not having a magic, you know, answer for that, I really, because you have a son, and you know, unfortunately, you know, we have to educate our black boys on how to deal with. What's the protocol when you get pulled over by yeah. a police officer? What is that? What is that protocol? How have you had? I'm assuming you've had that conversation with him. Yeah. How did that conversation go? Like, what did you? What well, do that's you, what we said. You know, there one. We've even had those conversations even with our girls. Of course, and yeah, that's true. While I, I think the threat and the risk may be different for for boys and girls, the threat is still there, and you know, it was more painful and hurtful than mm. we anticipated. For sure. Because it's one thing to read about the talk and hear about the talk. And one, it's not a talk. It's an ongoing we have the conversation talk every other day, basically. Right. Of, you know, in, in, because in, in New York, kids, there aren't school buses here. And so kids at their schools literally get subway passes. And so kids get themselves all over the city. And so kids are literally out and about in New York. and So in New York, the threat is a little different. It's not mm-hmm. like if you ever get pulled over. Like stop um, and frisk, right? right it's yeah. stop and frisk. It's don't ever go subway. to the subway and um, skip, you know, through, like, always pay. And so I'm obsessed with making sure that he has a subway pass every time he leaves the house. Do you have your subway pass? Does it have money on it? Because I know what can happen if you go, if you duck under, you know what I'm saying? Then you're drawing attention to yourself. So those kind of conversations. And for me, I actually wrote a a blog post about this with um, Mommy Nation. Um, I talked to his friends, too. He goes to a school where it's predominantly white and he's hanging out with these white boys. And I know how white boys can be. I know how kids can be. And I had to have a conversation like, I need you to talk to your son and when he's out with my son, I need him to understand that there's a different level of responsibility there in terms of if you get caught stealing and you do something crazy that kids do, like the consequences for your son are very different than they are for my son. And I just want to know, like, are you having these conversations with your child um, so that so that he knows and he's not putting my son at risk in ways like I dare you to do that or how about we go mm. do this? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like. 
Are you talking to your son about that? Were, were those parents receptive of what you had to say? They were, actually. They were really receptive. I mean, we live in Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? So super gentrified, you know, full of white people who who consider themselves woke to a degree. and But but who also, to be fair, really do engage with these topics in ways that their, their parents and predecessors weren't doing. So I was lucky enough that they were open to it. But I remember one time my son said something to me, and this broke my heart. I literally literally cried. He said that he was out with his friend and they were, you know, just horsing around, having a good time. And he said, you know, they were kind of chasing each other. And he said, mommy, I want you to know. And he was so proud. This is what really broke my heart. He said, I want you to know that I never ran behind him. I always made sure I was in front of him because I didn't want anybody to think I was chasing him. <gasps> oh, oh, my, oh my God. It's got goosebumps. Right. Now. I mean, mm. my heart it just it broke into a million yeah, that, pieces. that he already knows that the rules that apply to them don't, don't apply necessarily to apply to him and that yeah. and, and it sucks in a in a painful way mm-hmm. and cuz he was so proud he was like you know I did the right thing I did the right thing but it's like as a child those are not things that you should even have to consider but Absolutely. the truth of the matter is is that we do yeah I had a, an incident. He and I were on the ferry together. And, you know, he's little. Like, my son, he's very tiny. He wants to be tall so bad. But, <laughs> but he's not. I think he's going to take after me. Um, but we were on the ferry, and he and I were getting off, and we just had a great time, like, you know, taking pictures on the water. So we're walking off, and there's this white lady in the corner, like, you know, looking out at the water. And I noticed her turn around. She noticed my son, who did have a cap and a hoodie on, and her eyes immediately went down to look at her purse mm. and I was like it was like a split mm. second yeah, caught it. but I caught it and I was like oh my god my child my, my baby my baby. baby here was his mother right she looked down at her purse and then looked up at me and then you know went on about her business but I'm like I saw that I saw that and it hurt me and it amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals from courses to help you attain or retain certification to individualized coaching services to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen management concepts optimizes your professional development online in person individually or groups it's training that's measurably better learn more at managementconcepts.com that's managementconcepts.com Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. It scared me because I'm like, already, you know, here he is, this tiny thing. I mean, I don't even know if Easy weighs 100 pounds. He's tiny. And already you saw this little black boy with his baseball cap and his hoodie on, and your eyes immediately went down to make sure your purse was still there. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, how I'm just now really contending with, like, how do I release him out into the world without losing my mind. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can. Yeah. I don't think you can. Like, as a mom, I don't even have a son. My child is only four. Just as a black woman, like, I was just telling Erica, I'm like, um, so much, like, even growing up not very in a black community, I've been so aware. My parents, my middle name is Asada. I was, I was named mm-hmm. after a black panther. 
So like, it's always been an ongoing conversation in our household, but I've always felt super passionately about my people mm-hmm. to the point, like you're telling me these stories, I could cry. I'm emotional. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, I, I, it's, I don't think it ever becomes easy. Like no matter what, that's why I appreciate you guys so much for being transparent, for being honest and just for being, you know, doing the work that you're doing. But I don't, no matter what you're doing, I don't think it becomes easy to just explain to children that you're, to other people, they may not see you as a child. Yeah. They may not see you as human. Yeah, you're just you're just a criminal. Yeah, like that shit is unreal. And and like you said, as as parents, when we read these comments or we see these hateful these hateful things, even racist white people, I'm like, how can you be somebody's mother? When you give birth, everything else goes out the window. You're like, yeah. damn, yeah, this is just an innocent child. Of, yeah. of the heavens. I don't know where you came from, <laughs> but it's so pure. Yeah. And for you to birth a child or, you know, to, you know, have a baby and then you can look at somebody else's child as anything less than human. I, I, I literally can't understand the disconnect. Yeah. I can't. Even in the equity work that I do, like what I understand is that a lot of it is just unconscious bias. You know, like that white woman, who knows? She probably you talk about um, I forget what you call them, like um internet activist or something, mm-hmm. a, a word that you have Insta-activist. for Insta-activist. <laughs> you know, like I know several of those types of people, you know, um, some of them that I care about deeply, but their their activism only goes as far as their next retweet, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, that, mm-hmm. and there it stops. And so that woman, I would not be surprised if she was so woke online. Right. You know what I'm saying? But still for that, that second. That second, as my son was walking in front of me and she saw him first, she she wasn't woke anymore. No, no when it's the, when it's the real when you're confronted with it, it's a little different. Right, it's a little different. I mean, shit. I think as a black woman, the other day I was leaving your house, and um, it was late, and I was putting my massage table on my trunk, and I saw a man, and she was like on a quiet street, a black man walking down the street, and I was my trunk was open, and I thought mm. he could put me in this trunk with this table. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like I got. Scared, right? Because we're not exempt from dealing. Like we've also swallowed we've, the we, water. We've been programmed one hundred percent. And I, I don't know if it was because he was black or because he's a man. There's all this like human trafficking, mm-hmm, you know. But mm-hmm. I, I caught, I've caught myself in, in mid thought and mid. And he was, he had a Trader Joe's shirt on. He was walking by. He was minding his business, <laughs> you know. But Trader I, Joe's shirt, like he's good. He's good. Yeah, <laughs> Trader Joe's. I love Trader Joe's. But he was, I was, I, I, I got scared and I thought, okay, well, Erica knows I'm leaving. Someone's expecting me. I can only be missing for so long. Mm. <laughs> but I realized how, how deeply, how, you know, if it's, if it's somewhere tri- like programmed in myself, I can only imagine for people who don't even like, who feel even more removed, removed. Yeah. Um, but I, my other question is, Sean, what was the, what was a defining moment for you when you're like, this is what I have to do? Oh, I've had I've had a few defining moments, but we were actually living in Southern California. This was in the summer of 2014, and I was working at an environmental charity called Global Green. This was in Santa Monica, and it was not like I was not an organizer, not an activist. I had spoken out against police brutality a, a lot during my adult life, but this was a time where in 2014. There had never been a viral video of police brutality, not on the internet. I mean, there was Rodney King in in, in the 90s, early 90s, right. but but on the internet, there had never been a viral video of somebody being killed by police. And a buddy of mine that I went to Morehouse with, who actually lived here in New York, sent me a video of Eric Garner. 
And at the time, we didn't even know his name. It was still on YouTube. It had not made the news. It was, it was, it had like 5,000 views on YouTube. And it was, he knew the guy, Ramsey Order, that actually posted it. And I was sitting there at a cubicle at my desk. And I waited until a lot of my colleagues left for lunch. And I clicked on this video and watched a man who was fully alive at the beginning of the video be fully dead by the end. And in that moment, this is like July 17th of of 2014, I'm just at my cubicle thinking like, oh my God, I just watched a man die. Now, in those five years since, we've watched a lot of people die. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I I was really shook up by it. And I just asked myself a simple question like, who do I know that might be able to help? What can I do that might make a difference? And I just started sharing that video on social media and trying to break it down and explain it in a way that I didn't see anybody else doing. It was on the news the next day, but I saw my job initially as just trying to tell the story of of that victim, of that family. But it was a pivotal moment for me where I kind of see my life as existing before I got that video and after I got that video. And I only worked at that job for a few more weeks until I quit and started writing and organizing and working full time. A few weeks later, Mike Brown was killed in Ferguson. A young brother in Los Angeles named Ezel Ford was shot and killed by police. Guy in Ohio named John Crawford was shot and killed all in a span of about 20 days or so. Uh, a few months later, almost five years ago to this day, a 12-year-old boy named Tamir Rice was killed. It would be five years ago on Friday. I can't Friday. believe it's been five years. Yeah. Wow. And, I can't even uh, believe it's been that long from, from Eric. Honestly, Eric. yeah. That shit shook me, too. Yeah. That, I mean, I, it's, 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 it's They choked him. I mean, you have to think about it. A man was literally choked to death. On camera. On broad, in broad daylight. A big, strong, strong man. man. Yeah. And no one did anything. Ugh. Even me as a 98-pound woman, I can't imagine being witness to that and not being like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. well, well, you know, I might have been arrested were, because yeah. my, my, my instinctual reaction would have been like, are you, like, stop. Yeah. Well, people were yelling. It's a different, when you're there in the presence of police, and, and New York police know how to be intimidated. Mm, they sure do. Do they? Because they're like... No, nah, just, on that scene, and I, I part of what I do is I sometimes have to study these videos so I can really unpack and explain and see clues and, you know, just try to be able to break it down to to catch the details. People on the scene were highly upset. I mean, they were irate, but but it didn't deter them in in one way. I mean, outside of people have learned the hard way that if you if you jump on the police or something like that, you can get yourself shot and killed. You can be killed too, yeah. Yeah, so it's um it's a very difficult position for people to be in. Like in that actual video, you could tell that people wanted to go in there and intervene. And uh, but it's it's it causes a lot more fear than you know until you see it. Right. You know. Um, I know that recently Eric Gardner's da- uh, daughter uh, passed, and I know you posted something about her having a broken heart. Um, I'm a conspiracy theorist. (laughs) And um, living in the United States, which has always been rather tricky, um, and they've always done 
like shit specifically to us, specifically to people who are aware of their rights and aware that shit is fucked up. Um, I've read a lot of articles about, I mean, we were just talking about, um, about uh, Gary Webb and about uh, Eric Gardner's daughter and about um, there, there's been some really active people at Ferguson who have mysteriously died right. since, um, hung in trees, and it was ruled a suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and with very little media coverage, yeah. um, I don't put shit past the United States government because mm-hmm. I know they're fucked up. Yeah. And I know they don't care. But um, in your line of work... And seeing what you see, like, do you do you feel like the conspiracy theorists could, like it's there's some truth to it? Do you do you feel like our government is that corrupt? I mean, if you don't want to speak on it, I understand. No, that no, too. no, I'm not. No, <laughs> I, I'm an open book, and mm-hmm. so I'm always so my heart and mind is always open to any possibility. So yes, this government and and, and this government, like we call it, it, it's an empire, and it's an empire if it's. Obama's empire, Trump's empire, the government and, and its agencies are problematic no matter who is at the head of the empire. It's, it's always problematic. But each of those cases in Ferguson, and I knew Eric Garner really well, each of those cases you have to look at individually. There's sometimes, in, in, I have close friends who still still live in Ferguson and knew many of the people who died there. Ferguson was... The street that Mike Brown was killed on, Canfield Drive, it, that went right down the middle of this apartment complex, and the people who came out to protest, a lot of the protesters lived rough lives on the margins. And if any one of those people that we now know as Ferguson protesters, if they had died in 2015 or 2016 or 2017, and there had never been Ferguson protests, nobody would have known about it. But there were shootings and deaths and murders happening in and around St. Louis and Ferguson all the time. It just, from the people that I've talked with in Ferguson, you would you would struggle to find a single person in Ferguson who thinks it's a deep conspiracy theory of the, the KKK or, or the FBI. Most of the people that knew those individuals, several of them had horrible health problems, several of them had deep struggles with depression, several of them have been involved with multiple incidents of violence before the protest, and so I, I actually don't think in the case of Ferguson that it's a deep, ugly conspiracy theory. I've been around long enough to know it's not impossible, but I think it makes for better conversation to call it that. I think it's just the deep cost of poverty and life in black America. And and the stress of this movement. Yeah, you know, I think deeply, that had as stressful. much to do with Erica Garner's death as anything, you know, but also, you know, she was someone living life on the margins as well. So it was like the 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 perfect storm of all those all yeah. those different things. People don't understand, you know, there have been times when you know, people that we worked with have called crying, like activists whose names that you know have just been on the phone, boo-hoo crying, breaking down because this shit is so heavy, so 
heavy. And when you're getting it, like you expect it from white supremacists, right? Mm -hmm. But to you all's point earlier, when you see black folk and they're coming for you and you're just kind of catching hell on all sides, like that shit is heavy. You don't, there's no such thing as being so big, having so many followers that it never touches you. That's not, that's not a thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, it's a it's a corrupt society, but like even with Erica, the problem of having a family that this is this is her father who was who was murdered in a video that went viral. Like Erica told me, and I, I became friends with Erica, her her sister Emerald, uh, Erica's mother, their grandmother, uh, their children. You know. The trauma that they had to deal with and relive over and over and over wears you down. The fight for justice in this country wears you down. And then you compound that with people who already had real hard struggles. And then you put this difficult struggle for violence, what I mean, struggle for justice. What happens is you begin to neglect your personal health, mm-hmm. your well-being, your mm-hmm. mental health. Literally, people start stop taking medicines they're supposed to be taking. Like, Erica had been hospitalized, unbeknownst to a lot of people. She had been hospitalized a few times before her final hospitalization. You don't post that on Instagram. Like, you don't, you, you know, you post your highlights. You don't have the whole picture. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so what happens is all of a sudden you just learn on the news that she's died, and it's like you didn't know that she was, she was struggling. struggling. Mm, right. And, and people didn't know that. And... The same is true in Ferguson or in Chicago. There, there have been several activists around the country who've committed suicide. And what happens is people who didn't know those activists and didn't know the communities they were in always think it's, um, it's like a targeted assassination, and I get it. I think that denies the humanity of, of these people who, like there was a, a judge here in, in New York who committed suicide. And it was a, Off the bridge. Right? Yeah, she this, this um, older black woman who was a judge, and she had many controversial cases. And because she had these controversial cases and Trump had just been elected, people swore that this woman was, was assassinated because she was a black judge or assassinated by the mob or something like that. And it come to find out she had very, very deep mental health problems that almost nobody knew about, and she jumped off that bridge. For months, people had deep thoughts on who did it and why they did it. And you know, one of the fastest growing communities of people who are attempting and committing suicide are young black folk. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like we we don't talk about some of our our issues well enough to give people space like, no, she jumped off that bridge. It's one of the reasons I really, as as much as I can, try to talk about mental health and, you know, trying to do my part to help destigmatize it in the black community. I grew up with a mom who was just like, all I need is Jesus. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? All you need is Jesus. All we got to do is pray about it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then she's like, actually, no, you know, like maybe not. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's fine if if we need to talk to somebody else and, um, you know, get help. And, and we're not beyond that um, as a community. You know, unfortunately, it's not very accessible. 
um, to a lot of black and brown folks. It's expensive. Insurance doesn't cover it. Mm. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And so there are all these other obstacles in the way. Um, But yeah, I agree with you. Like sometimes I'm like, he committed suicide from a tree. I don't (laughs) think so. Black people, no, I mean, not say that. It's hard to believe. No, it is hard to believe, you know, like, I think there's that's so much a, distrust. Well, I think that's what it is. There's so much distrust that we don't we don't know what to believe anymore. Well, I think True. I think what you have to do, like, so say in that particular case, let's pull his story out from the rest of those stories, and I I, I think though the it's when you combine all of them that it looks like a a like a real deep dark story that's going on. Maybe that individual case is one. But, I mean, I knew at least two of the guys who died. And, I mean, they were living life on the edge. Mm. And, um, and you know, they, they, had, they had multiple enemies. And, and they were living in communities where people did crazy stuff. And, you know, one of my friends who passed away in Ferguson, I mean, he had serious chronic health problems and drug addictions. And I people keep throwing his name in that group of names of Ferguson activists. And it's like, listen, the guy had major health problems and drug addictions. And that takes people out every single day. And and so we just have to give everybody the space to be to be human, human. you know? Yeah. I have one last question. Or do you have any no, I okay. <laughs> I have a question because we we have a lot. We do have white like white followers. <laughs> Shout out to Nelly, hey girl, um, <laughs> who who ask us how they can be allies. Mm. You know how no word it how you worded it when you text me. <laughs> she was like, I have this question, please. I said, how can non people of color be better allies, and how can white people use their privilege to help the marginalized? Yeah. And she thought it was funny, but I'm serious. How can white people use their privilege to help? Yeah, yeah, because let's be real. They got the privilege, and they have the space to do that more so than us. Right. What I always say, because this comes up a lot, because when you do diversity work, you're mostly talking to white people. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so even when you all said white women and I said problematic, I was just like, oh, you know, maybe not. One of my best friends is white. So I, I don't mean to, like, say all white women are are problematic, but I think enough of them are, and particularly the liberal ones um, who think they've all they've arrived, they've done the work, they're so woke, like they can't be this or that, um, and so that's why that's probably why problematic came to mind because I work with a lot of those types, um, but I think the best thing that white women can do is talk to white people like. Go get your friends. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Talk to your family. Right? Go talk to her. Right? Like, seriously, when you're around the Thanksgiving dinner table or you're you're hooking up with people for Christmas or whatever, like, I know some white people to get along with their families kind of hold their tongues and, you know, don't speak their peace and don't challenge. But that's where you're going to be most useful as white people is to check your own people, in my opinion. Well, yeah, yeah. I, they, I think they do need even instructions on even on what that means. You're really good at instructions. Can you send us instructions? No, Sean, <laughs> Sean is in Sean's emails with instructions. I'm like, yes. Step one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Step two. You're Check. gonna you're gonna hear my voice. Yeah, I try to be. I try to make sure people you will talk know. to me directly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. Well, first off, 
I try to communicate all of us have some level of privilege. And so when people, I try to communicate this even when I travel the country and speak, I often speak to white audiences as well. And how I try to help them understand that they have privileges that all of us, particularly in the context of the world, as, as Americans, we have privileges that, and levels of privilege that people around the world might not have. As people who, can, you, you all traveled from Los Angeles to New York, as, as cross-country travelers, we have privilege. Uh, you know, the access to the technology we have is a privilege. So all people have levels of privilege. It's that in this country, there are certain people that have like a whole toolbox full of privilege. And it's trying to help people understand, well, how can you use those things? And there, there are a few things that I see, and it's a complaint that I hear often from black organizers and activists who find white people to be flaky in their commitment to mm, justice. And because they have, the, they have the privilege of checking in and checking out. Yeah. Because it may not, the issue may not be bigotry or racism or white supremacy or whatever the issue is, police brutality. The issue may not impact them the way it impacts us. So whereas we don't have an option to check out, people often find white people's commitment to these causes to be sometimey. And my, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice, and I talk about this in my book, is to just have a long-lasting commitment to whatever it is, the cause that you are going to commit yourself to. If, if you're going to commit yourself to racial justice or social justice or ending mass incarceration, whatever that is, like make a, make a lifelong commitment, make a long-term commitment. And a long-term commitment to checking yourself. Mm-hmm. Like never sure. allow yourself to believe that you have arrived, that your learning gets mm-hmm. to stop and you know what you need to know. Like commit to that as well. Yeah, and then uh, also uh, the, the other, I get several complaints from well-meaning black activists who are trying to, to make space for white people in their organizing. One is that they're, they're flaky and not committed, that when stuff gets weird, when stuff gets messy, if there's a, a confrontation or a moment, at the, the first hint of tension or difficulty, they bail. So just be so committed that you'll see your way through problems or fallouts or disagreements. The, the second thing that I would say is uh, I get the complaint that like, white folk are often overbearing in black spaces, like sometimes overcommunicative. Like, when you first enter these spaces, like, talk less and listen more. Like, commit yourself to learning mm-hmm. how these spaces really operate. And, like, I'm not, I'm not saying just completely shut up. There'll be a place for you to talk. But, like, don't come in and expect to be vice president of whatever the, <laughs> the work is. Like, no, I mean, come... Bring refreshments. <laughs> bring those cupcakes. Yeah, yeah. Bring, no, like no, seriously, get there early. Like, it, it sh- make your commitment so real that you show up early and leave late. Mm. Like, do things mm-hmm. that are going to build real credibility with people who've been doing the work since long before you showed up. And that's not that, that's not magic. It's just being consistent. And doing the hard work, it's it's 
chip, chipping in financially. Uh, I mean, there are just lots of practical things that people can do. And, um, and then, you know, be quick to acknowledge if you've made a mistake. Yeah, that's mm. so big. Like, don't shut down because you're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Or you're uncomfortable. Yeah. It's going to be awkward. Right, okay? Like, or like if you did, acknowledge it. Acknowledge it, You know, yes. like my daddy's friend. <laughs> right, I was wrong. Right, right. Don't say the N-word. Number Step number one. <laughs> right. No, that's a good rule. That is a step hard one. and fast rule. Don't try to be too down. Relax. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, we are the we are the people that it's happening to. So you do have to sit back and relax and, and listen. Yeah. Because you can't you can't navigate from this space, no matter how many black friends you have. Oh my gosh, I had to have a conversation with a white woman in a space because we were talking about Tanahasi Coates' new book, um, The Water Dancer. And you know, we were just, you know, saying, oh, yeah, you know, let's do a book group or let's, you know, put it out there and talk to people about it. And this white woman, like super woke, you know, was just like, yeah, but I have a problem with him. And I was like, oh, really? Like what? And she was just like, you know, in his last book, he said some things and I was just so offended by the things that he said, you know, about black women. And I was like, you? Like, <laughs> like, like, you were offended? Like, on behalf of black women? Right. Like, are you serious right now? Like, here we are, black women in the room, having a conversation about this man. And listen, think whatever you want, whatever. Like, we as black women, I feel like, have the space to fall on different sides about that or what have you. But you, as the lone white woman in the room, shouldn't be introducing your feelings about this man on behalf of black women. Like, it's just not necessary, you know, just... There's enough of us to speak up. 100%. Support our fight. Don't start the fight. <laughs> and right. also, and don't try to compare whatever you've gone through to this fight. Because yeah. I don't, like, if I bring up something historical, I, that doesn't mean you have to bring up the Holocaust. That doesn't mm. mean you have to bring up, you know, if there was a, a group that was called black women, I mean, white women, da, 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 everybody be offended. You don't have to be in competition with the fight. Yeah. You don't have one. Have oppression Olympics. Yeah. It's not oppression yeah. Olympics. Oh, that's a good one. That, <laughs> that, that irritates me, you know? Like, sometimes, like, I've had conversations and it's just like, well, you act like this. And it's just like, it's a very different, it's a very different thing when we live in the country where the shit has taken place, mm -hmm. where it's been systematic, where there's all these things in line. Like, I don't want to hear about your white, delicate feelings in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> that's all <I> <laughs> Um, well, it's very late. Yes. And we appreciate you guys so yes. much. And Your baby's out there she's looking, she's looking, looking at us. Oh, like, she's like, she's like, let's go. Um, like, well, she's over there drawing something really cool. What is that? I know. I was like, what is she looking at over there? Let me find out she's also an artist. Yeah, um, this yeah she's child. a creative, an actress, oh, wow. an artist. Wow. Um, Y'all might be seeing her in a commercial soon. We will. Um, you know we'll we're just going to put that out there. It's happening. <laughs> Look out. About to be famous. If she needs an agent in L.A., I got her. <laughs> Erica is the agent hookup in L.A. Oh, really? Okay. Um, thank you guys so very, 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 very much. We look forward to your book coming out in March. Yeah. Um, and your podcast. I can't wait. Oh, we'll see. I mean. No, it's coming. No, it's no, happening. it's definitely coming. We're, we're halfway done with it already. But I just, again, going back to the think about you know not wanting to be well known or whatever i'm still like taking baby steps with this whole you know yeah but this, it's important the conversation is important and even like 
with us. This was a mistake. We weren't supposed to be doing this. It was just mm-hmm. was like something that fell in, but it's it's necessary. Yeah. Our vo- black women's voices are necessary. What we have to say is important and um you know, I commend you guys for put you know putting yourselves out there and same to you. You all do some brave stuff <laughs> on your social media media. Seriously, I was like scrolling through and I was like, wow, like they just they went there, they did that, they said that. You know what I'm saying? And 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 I appreciate that you all don't feel bound by society's expectations um, of us as black women and mothers and and all that kind of stuff. So same to you. Thank oh, you. thank you. Appreciate <laughs> that for real. Thank you so much. Um, where can they find? Where, where can the listeners find you? Oh, several places. I'm I'm all over the internet. Uh, yes. <laughs> don't Google me and don't right, right. Yeah, and don't look at my Wikipedia page. Oh, Neither can, one of the, Can't you edit that? I don't know what it says. But no, what is no, it? you really can't. You really can't edit the Wikipedia page. You That's can't. A, no, like you have to be an approved Wikipedia editor. Oh, to Lord. do that. Okay, but. Uh, I'm at Sean King on all the social media platforms, but uh, we have a company that we've started, the North Star, so people can go to the northstar.com. Uh, we have articles and podcasts and more. We have a new website that will be coming out in a couple of weeks, and uh, and we have a podcast that's coming out. You can find Ray on Instagram. Yeah. What's your handle? Mrs. Ray King. Yeah. R-A-I. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> R-A-I. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, we're going to keep doing the work. But, yeah, we enjoy talking with you all and glad to spend some time with you. Yes, thank you. Thank you, guys. Next barbecue, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a mean turkey burger. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, like, likes to eat. <laughs> she sure do. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> all right, y'all. Um, well, you know where to find us at goodmoms underscore bad choices. Make sure to join our newsletter uh, at goodmomsbadchoices.com. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.